Today, we'll be talking about interesting artwork that tells multiple stories. In art, story can be understood through many lenses, including that of the artist as well as the viewer. Stories are a form of communication that everyone can connect with. They are a way of understanding and remembering the experience of a time and place. I feel like art can teleport you into a moment for a few seconds and make you feel like you are there, you are part of the story. Hi, I'm Raquel and I'm 19 years old. And I'm Zoom, I'm 17. I'm Noelle and I'm 13 years old. And we are your local museum ambassadors from the Fine Arts Museum of San Francisco. Artists express their ideas and opinions through their artwork, and with a little imagination, you can too. And the object itself also tells the story. What do you see? What do you feel? While you listen to the stories these objects are trying to tell, keep these questions in mind. Close your eyes and see how these artworks transport you into the moment. It's Raquel. Today, I'll be talking about black figure amphora with lid. First, let's talk about what an amphora is. They are essentially just jars or vases with two handles and a narrow neck. But what makes them unique are the designs put on them by Roman and Greek artisans. This jar stood out to me because it reminds me of my favorite character from the movie Hercules by Disney, the Muses. They were the narrators of the movie and would jump off their painting and use other amphoras when referring to some of the gods and their personal stories. The muses were telling a story by speaking, mostly singing, but stories can be told from a single image. The black and orange face shows figures in combat, which made me think of warriors like Ares or Hercules. I would come to find out that I was wrong, but that's okay. What is important is that this piece made me think and ask, who are they? Where are they going? What are they fighting for? This amphora has a couple scenes on it, one on each side. One side shows Dionysus with Menads, and the other one has Ajax and Odysseus. We can recognize the characters, Ajax and Odysseus, based on the armor and weapons they are carrying, which was probably meant for the fight for Achilles' armor, who died during the Trojan War. Ajax was compared to Achilles for his strength and bravery as warrior. However, he lost the fight for Achilles' armor and the disappointment led him to go mad and commit suicide. I imagine the passion and loyalty Ajax had for Achilles was so strong that he couldn't go on after losing Achilles' armor. The other side of the jar shows a scene of Dionysus with the musical processions of Menads. Dionysus, the god of wine, was an offspring of Zeus and a mortal named Simile. Herrera, Zeus's jealous wife, would often harass Zeus's children from other women, including Dionysus. So Zeus had to hide Dionysus away from Hera, which resulted in him being raised by nymphs, who were personifications of nature. This scene shows the death of character in Dionysus. Picking these scenes to be painted on the jar meant that these stories were important. Let's hear from the curators Louise Chu and Renee Dreyfus and what they have to say about black figure amphora with lid. Who would use these vases and for what? Most um, Greek vases is of vases rather that um, like 
this one, this amphora, especially if they're painted, were generally、um, actually used for as burial goods, because there's a whole tradition with、um, among the ancients, and including the ancient Greeks.、Um, they were in symposium or symposia, which are these. Oh, I don't know. Parties, drinking parties, gatherings of men.、Um, that when they that they're used for drinking purpose, they serve both as a functional vessel or as well as、um, part of a funerary paraphernalia. Were those who made these vases considered artists? We now consider them artists because of that sort of exquisite sort of paintings that you are scenes that you see on on some of them. But back in the days of ancient Greece, especially in Athens, where、um, it, you know the city itself was really famous for these painted vases, both black figure and、uh, red figure, these were really just artisans, as in they actually worked for a pottery either owned by the painter or the potter, the master painter, who would sketch the outline on the pot, and then it would be sort of painted over. Whether behind a on on top of a black background, as in the black figure, or on top of a reddish color on the background, so hence sort of a a, a black figure meaning the figures are painted black, and the、uh, red figure means the figure themselves are in red, as against the opposite color background. One would assume they are done sort of freehand, and this is why, from our point of view, it is really amazing artistry. Can you talk more about the scenes that were picked for these vases? Whatever the, the what we call now the artist、uh, want to do, and of course some of these are set themes, like our, you know, even the front of the one of the sides that has the brawling warriors,、um, because that is a very known、uh, mythological story, and the one behind with Dionysus scenes that's really all over the place、um, started with the. Sort of the background of symposia, where it's all drinking,、um, and Dionysus is of course the god of wine. The lid of this amphora is painted with a horse-drawn chariot race, with three chariot charioteers standing behind a pair of horses, and this is a very common game. Among the Greeks,、uh, whether especially with you know as a chariot race. It's a common feature in in battles, where you have a charioteer race, you know, controlling, directing, steering the horse or the horses, and there's the hero standing next to him, fighting, if I may say, killing the opponents.、Um, however, on this lid, it certainly looks far more、uh, peaceful because you there are only three charioteers with their team of. You know, a two-horse team racing around the lid as though it's racing around a,、um, a hippodrome, a, a, a you know, a circular sort of、um, racetrack. What do you think is happening in this painting? Why is a lady putting a flower crown on someone's head? Why is everyone watching intently? This painting seems to tell many stories, from the lady in green silk to the two people singing in the background. 
When I first saw this artwork, I also had many questions. Well, to start, this painting is called The Crowning of Martillo by Fernand Bo. This painting is actually based on a scene of a play, like a story within a story. The painting depicts a scene from Il Pastor Fido, a play written by Giovanni Battista Gorani, an Italian, in around 1585. The title translates to The Faithful Shepherd, and it documents the protagonist Mirtillo, a shepherd who is crowned with flowers by Amaryllis, a nymph who he is secretly in love with. However, he's disguised himself as a woman, and he has just witnessed a kissing war among Amaryllis's female friends. And her mouth, having already been judged the fairest, her role is to judge whose kisses are the most pleasing. And this painting focuses on the moment when Mirtillo wins the contest. Il Pastor Fido was a pastoral play, and it was often performed in Italy. That's Isabella, curatorial assistant in European paintings at the Fine Art Museum of San Francisco. Wow, the popular play attracted different artists to make paintings inspired by its scenes. The play was attractive for artists during this time because it was part of the pastoral genre. The pastoral genre is often plays and art set in this pastoral scene that has some semblance to everyday life, but is actually in Arcadia where ideals of social life can be placed. Was pastoral genre a way to escape reality? Completely. The pastoral genre did allow others to escape reality. How does this play use gender bending? This play uses gender bending in the way that it has a male dressed up as a female. And when the male, Mirtillo, is able to be a female, he's able to access female-only spaces and to engage in a world that isn't seem as accessible. It's interesting to think that gender bending, in a way, is allowing a gender to access another gender, gender world that they would not be able to experience. It's the sense of fantasy and imagination that's allowed to be played out. Was gender bending looked down upon in the 16th century? I'm not quite sure if it was looked down upon. I am assuming yes, but there are so many instances in literature and European literature produced in the 16th century where gender bending is used. I'm thinking of Shakespeare when a woman is dressed as a man, or in this instance where a man is dressed as a woman. It makes me think of how gender bending is used in more current entertainment like Mulan, White Chicks, or Mrs. Doubtfire. The play use of gender bending is interesting, especially in today's open conversation about gender, sexuality, and fluidity. Now that we understand more about painting source, there's something that caught my eye. The figure in orange, positioned in the shadow, peering over the shoulder of Amaryllis, the woman in green, seems to have a darker complexion. As you can see, there are a total of nine people in the painting, but only one person who seems to be of color. This makes me think of the racial dynamics when Bo created this work in the mid-17th century in the Netherlands. How does this painting reflect the history of that time? This reflects Dutch history at this time in the 17th century. Once it received its independence in 1648, it, by then it had already been a naval power that dominated economic systems. The Dutch did this 
by engaging in trade with Asia and also setting up colonial settlements in the Americas and participating in the international slave trade. While slavery was forbidden in the Dutch Republic, people of African descent and people of color did live in the Dutch Republic during this time, and they were most likely brought over to the Dutch Republic as servants by immigrant families. Therefore, there is some question as to who would have been a model for Ferdinand Ball for this scene. Ferdinand Ball shows the difference in class through clothes and ornaments people in the painting wore. The rest of the figures had beautiful gowns with fancy jewelries, while the personal color is covered by two figures in front of them. From what we can see, what class distinctions can be made? And this leaves you with questions like, what role do Amarillo's attendants play? When you look at the facial expression, it's quite interesting. The painting's main focus is on the flower crowning ceremony, where most of the figures seem so invested in, while the personal color looks confused. I mean, I will look confused too. Imagine walking into a kissing contest to see who kisses the best. With their expression, skin color, and position within the painting, the figure with the darker skin feels excluded. There are other figures that look like them, which makes me wonder how they feel. How would you feel if you were in a room full of people that don't look like you? I wonder if the person in the back feels out of place or uncomfortable. During this time, people of color function in paintings often for aesthetic purposes, as providing a color contrast between black and white. However, recent art historical scholarship is really trying to understand the social and the political and the economic circumstances of why there are people of color in European paintings. Who exactly was a model for Ferdinand Ball when he made this painting? What was he looking for, for inspiration, for conceiving this scene? And I think that rather than having answers for that, it's been a lot of questions because this painting challenges my assumptions about what Dutch painting is, the experiences of people who lived in the Dutch Republic during the 17th century. What was surprising to you about the painting? What was most surprising is that this painting hangs in Gallery 14 at the Legion, which is dedicated to large paintings that are Dutch and Flemish. It was interesting for me to see that this painting was so large when you compare it to paintings you expect to be in the middle-class homes of Dutch citizens of the 17th century. For me, it was also so interesting to see a person of color there especially when museums which have European paintings often reflect this very Eurocentric narrative of what life was like. And so it was interesting to think that in our collection, there are different stories that can be told and that there's further investigation that can be done in the social, economic, and political situations that these art arise from. What struck me is that if you look close enough in our galleries, and if you look hard enough, there are so many different stories and people that you can see that you might not look at at first glance. So what story do you see when looking at this painting?
Imagine this. You're walking to the grocery store, the busy streets of Birmingham, Alabama, buzzing with the noise of city life. You turn a corner and you bump into a group of peaceful protesters. Most people in the crowd are kids, marching with signs, speaking out for equal rights and the end of segregation. The protesters aren't violent, but you can tell that they are driven to make a change. Suddenly, police dogs are unleashed into the sea of people. The vicious dogs charge at the protesters, some people getting bitten and trampled. This is the scene of Jack Levine's painting, Birmingham 63. When I first saw this painting, the dark colors and solemn faces of the figures gave me a distinct chilling feeling. It's one of those paintings where you can just tell there's a rich and deep story behind it. The painting consists of five African Americans whose facial features are mostly blurred out. This makes me think that anyone could have been in their shoes. They're standing together, face against ferocious dogs that are barking and lunging at them. The moment portrayed in the art was a part of the Birmingham campaign, which was a segment of the civil rights movement. Starting on April 3rd, 1963, giant meetings, lunch counter sit-ins, marches on City Hall, and a boycott of downtown merchants were put into motion. The purpose of these demonstrations was to put pressure on businesses to desegregate their facilities. On May 3, 1963, the momentous scene shown in Birmingham 63 took place. At a protest that was mostly attended by students ranging from college, high school, to even elementary school, Public Safety Commissioner Eugene Bull Connor ordered local police and fire departments to use force to control the demonstrations. Children got blasted by high-pressure fire hoses, clubbed by police, and as seen in the art, charged by attack dogs. This horrific scene of extreme violence and racism ignited international outrage. Although a difficult experience, it changed the city of Birmingham for the better. Black citizens of Birmingham and the city's business leadership agreed to desegregate public facilities such as restrooms, lunch counters, and more. Unfortunately, this painting is undeniably similar to photos and news articles today in the media about the Black Lives Matter movement protests. Hi, my name is Deonnie Dillard. I too am a museum ambassador at the San Francisco um, De Young Museum. I have been doing social justice work ever since I could walk, and I am part of a social justice group called the Radical Monarchs. It's a group for girls of color um, to learn about social justice, and we do things such as marches, and we go to protests, and we write letters, and we just learn about social justice and how we can help better our world. This scene does indeed remind me. It reminds me of the riots that have been happening in 2020. I definitely think that the energy is somewhat the same. Um, you can tell that in Birmingham 63, it was 
a very dark time in history and there was police brutality and there was just anger and just like this a lot of emotions going on around then and then when you compare it to what's going on today our pictures are um more so in color but it's still the exact same type of energy that was happening back then the art just really it just it resonates with me because I look at it and I can connect it with my own experience growing up. I, you know, of course, I've never seen it firsthand, you know, um, houses being bombed, but I have seen police brutality, um, whether it's on the news and the newspapers, just speaking with my parents about it. And just growing up black in America is difficult. And it's like, even before I joined my social justice work, my mom always sat me down and talked to me about, you know, what to do if I ever get stopped by a police officer or what to do when, you know, when there's a gun around and how, how to handle those situations at a very young age. This makes me think about how the color of your skin really does affect your experience living in America. As an Asian American, I realize I've never had a talk about how to handle situations with the police. And it never occurred to me that I'd need to know what to do in that situation. Uh, a lot of people don't know what to do or they haven't received that talk. Luckily for me, my parents, my mom is very active in social justice. You know, she brought me to my first march when I was only four years old. So I've always been aware of what was going on. Of course, I didn't know all the really um, a lot of the details, you know, because I was still very young. But, you know. As I grow older, you know, we have social media now. And so you can see everything. And lots of people aren't ready to see it, but the world just pushes it onto us and expect us just to take it, you know. But it's, it's really hard to do so because no one wants to see the things that we see today, you know. And I can say that I've seen, I've seen plenty of these things. You know, I've seen firsthand um you know, a black child um, being murdered. You know, I've I've seen it, I've, and I've seen it up close. And it's it's a horrifying thing that you have to that you have to look at. But you know, it just it just it's, that's how the world is working right now. You know, no, you're never really ready to have that talk, and it's upsetting, especially for black children in America, that you have to sit down and have this conversation with the family members and you have to worry about walking outside the house every day. You know, it's not it's not exactly something that's easy to swallow, you know. It's crucial to remember the struggles African-American families had to go through to ensure and defend civil liberties. And artists have a huge role in getting people to know about current issues. Just by looking at the artwork that is being made right now, whether that be music, dance, or paintings, gives you an idea as to the struggles others in the world face. Jack Levine took it upon himself to make artworks to expose the flaws of American culture, things like inequality, militarism, racism, and political corruption. In Birmingham 63, when he chose to speak about these issues, it was attention-grabbing. Not only did he have, not only did he make beautiful art, but he also showed the immorality of racism in the events going on at the time. 
The way Levine showed his opinion on Birmingham 63 was by exaggerating his figures for expressive purposes, which was inspired by earlier European artists. Some subjects and elements in the painting may be a bit dramatic, but it draws you in and gets his point across in a powerful way. This makes it impossible to miss the viciousness of the dogs and the resilience of the protesters. When looking into the background and history of this painting, he is giving light to the fight for equality and the end of racism. However, the events which took place in this painting haven't seemed to change. Looking back at Birmingham, it's really upsetting because I can still see things that are happening um, then and now, but it's, it just switched in some ways. I mean, but then you see similarities, like they use batons then, they use it now. It's changed in some, in some way, but then again, it's not. And we're just repeating the same things over and over again. So in some ways, I do see progress on how quick we can make change happen, like whether it's the small things like arresting um, murderers. Um, but then again, I still don't see a change in our policing. I do not see change in the police department. I do not. Like in this scene... Police showed brutality to the protesters, much like they continue to do today. Especially in the circumstances we are in, change will be difficult, but it's possible. What role do young people today have in creating social change? We're the future. It takes us to change how we want to live in the future. And of course, there's still going to be older people that determine that, but if we want to make a change that we we have a very big role in this because there's so many of us and when we all come together it's a very powerful thing and that's exactly why I like to boost and encourage my friends and people in my community to do more. We may be young but we can't let that limit our voices. Using our platforms to speak on issues that um, that we are affected by and we don't even have to be affected by it. You know I um, my group and I, we made a video on how to be an ally and we put it on our social medias and just made people aware of when you're not being affected by it, how you can use your privilege to help and do something about it. Because it takes us to be able to, to um, it takes us to change our futures and we don't want to be in the same place that we are right now. Right now, this is, we are tired. People of color are tired of fighting. We've been fighting for so long. Our ancestors have been fighting. It's been years and years and years of oppression and we have to stop it now. You know, so I think that especially um, our youth right now, we have the power to make a change. So um, I think we just we, we play a very big role in determining our future. When we were young, it was very easy to make up stories through our imaginations. But growing up and facing reality, our imagination sometimes fades. These artworks encourage us to create our own stories while bringing us closer to the role of the artwork. 
History is formed by the storyteller. Everyone has a different take on the same story, which makes everyone's perspective so unique. My experience when looking at these artworks may be different from yours, and that's okay. We hope you've been able to uncover new stories and new perspectives in these objects and found a deeper understanding about them.